The Braille Forum, Volume 48, February 2010, Number 8, published by the American Council of the Blind, read by Nanette Savard in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland. This recording is tone-indexed. The beginning of each item in the table of contents will be indicated by a beep, audible when your cassette player is in fast-forward or rewind. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President. Melanie Brunson, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. National Office. 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. 202-467-5081. Fax, 703-465-5085. Website, http colon slash slash www.acb.org. The Braille Forum, registered trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above or via email to slovering at acb.org. The American Council of the Blind, registered trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, visit the ACB website and complete an application form or contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Mike Godino at the above mailing address. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the national office can make printed cards available for this purpose. To remember the American Council of the Blind in your last will and testament, you may include a special paragraph for that purpose. If your wishes are complex, contact the ACB national office. Join the Monthly Monetary Support, MMS, program and help improve tomorrow, today, in ACB. Contact Ron Milliman by email, r-m-i-l-l-i-m-a-n, at i-n-s-i-g-h-t-b-b dot com, or by phone at 270-782-9325, and get started making tomorrow look brighter today. To make a contribution to ACB via the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection toll-free at 800-424-8666, 5 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time, or visit the Washington Connection online at http colon slash slash www.acb.org Copyright 2010 American Council of the Blind Table of Contents President's Message Changing How Others See Us by Mitch Pomerantz Side 1 A reminder to Social Security beneficiaries You have new rights in the new year by Melanie Brunson Side 1 The Sunny Southwest ACB Conference and Convention, 2010, by Carla Rushevel. Side 1. Second Annual ACB Walk, by Dan Dillon. Side 1. 
Board of Publications Awards. This year, it could be you. Side 1. Spotlight your affiliate with a BOP award. Side 2. The MMS program makes it easier for you to help ACB. By Dina Wilson. Side 2. Affiliate news. Side 2. Passings. Side 2. My very first rehabilitation lesson. By Carl Jarvis. Side 2. Finding my niche. By Barbara Matson. Side 2. Helping Hands by Diane S. Farrell. Side 2. Letters to the Editor. Side 2. Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 3. High Tech Swap Shop. Side 3. Forum Subscription Notes. You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash b-r-a-i-l-l-e-f-o-r-u-m hyphen l. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Message, Changing How Others See Us, by Mitch Pomerantz. In my November 2007 President's Message, Image and Perception, I discussed how blind and visually impaired people are viewed by the sighted public. I mentioned the fact that numerous surveys conducted over several decades have repeatedly shown blindness to be the most consistently feared disability, only topped by HIV-AIDS and cancer. I pointed out that while both medical conditions are often fatal, blindness in and of itself is not. And this speaks volumes about the public image and societal perceptions regarding blindness. A little later, I commented that, It is apparent to me that blind and visually impaired persons as a group still have a very long way to go before achieving full equality and total acceptance by society. I'd like to explore this topic a bit further to see how and whether we as individuals and or the American Council of the Blind as an organization can do anything more to change the aforementioned negative public perception about blindness and blind people. At the outset, let me express my feeling that individual interactions, both positive and negative, do more to affect how the public perceives us as a whole. Obviously, such interactions between blind and sighted people involve considerably more time and effort, on a personal level, and may take years or even decades to see positive results. For at least four decades or more, agencies and organizations of and for the blind, including the American Council of the Blind, have developed and disseminated films, public service announcements, and press releases geared toward educating the public relative to the abilities and capabilities of the blind. Of those I've seen and heard, the general theme is that blind and visually impaired people are just like everyone else. 
All we want is the chance to compete and live on equal terms with our sighted peers. Films and PSAs typically feature one or more of us working in interesting jobs or participating in a variety of amazing, from the public's perspective, recreational activities. Press releases call attention to a specific, noteworthy accomplishment involving the organization or agency which put out the release. Most of these efforts have been pretty good from the standpoint of their overall message. Whether they have positively impacted public perception about us is open for debate. With all due respect to these efforts, and particularly to those of ACB's hardworking public relations committee, I suspect that such endeavors, while beneficial to the cause, haven't had the overall positive impact all of us would prefer. I believe this is so for two reasons. First, what someone experiences on a personal or emotional level will affect them far more than something experienced either indirectly or on a more intellectual level. The public can see or read all the stories about successful blind people, but until they actually meet one, it isn't real. Second, the attention span of most people is fairly short, and what they will take away from a news story or PSA relative to blindness will fade quickly into a generalized impression. That impression, however, will be incorporated into an individual's previous direct and indirect positive and negative experiences with blindness. One of the strongest arguments used by proponents of integrating disabled students into mainstream school and classroom settings is that non-disabled students will become more familiar, and perhaps even friends, with disabled students. This will occur through regular, personal, and positive interaction between non-disabled and disabled students. While I haven't seen the data myself, I've been assured that more than one survey validates this argument. If accurate, this means that the more positive, direct exposure members of the sighted public have with people who are blind or visually impaired, the more likely it is that we will be treated fairly and equitably by the public. Hence, while I unequivocally support our and other organizations' efforts at generating positive publicity about us and ACB through these aforementioned media, I'm inclined to believe that we're more likely to change public perceptions for the better, one person and one positive experience at a time. A brief personal story is in order. After a year-long fight, I finally succeeded in getting the City of Los Angeles to let me take the entry-level civil service administrative examination. The gentleman proctoring the test informed me at the outset that if I scored well, his supervisor, the head of the section, was prepared to offer me a job, already knowing that I was blind. Why? Because this man had been a volunteer counselor for a couple of years at a local agency which conducted Saturday activities for blind and visually impaired youth. I learned this later, after I was hired. Would this man, who became one of my closest friends until his untimely death, have offered me a position without that positive experience? Perhaps. Then again, perhaps not. Thus began my nearly 34-year career with the city. My point in all of this is that while it can be a burden, a hassle, and a general pain, each and every one of us is a representative of the broader blindness community when we step out of our front door. No, we won't always be on our best behavior, 
I'm certainly not, when crossing paths with someone who is intrusive, boorish, or rude. Nonetheless, we should always remember that we may be the first blind person that individual has ever encountered personally, and that how we interact with him or her will, for better or worse, affect their subsequent attitude toward and about us. Just something to consider as we proceed through our busy lives. A reminder to Social Security beneficiaries, You Have New Rights in the New Year, by Melanie Brunson. A recent issue of the Braille Forum outlined the court order in the case American Council of the Blind v. Astru. In that case, the Social Security Administration was ordered to begin providing Social Security beneficiaries and representative payees who are blind or visually impaired notices in alternate formats. SSA was ordered to mail notices to all beneficiaries whose records indicate that they are blind or visually impaired by December 31, 2009, informing them of the options available to them. If you are blind or visually impaired and either receive benefits yourself under Social Security or Supplemental Security Income, SSI, or you receive benefits as a representative payee for someone else, you can ask the Social Security Administration to send you notices in another format, even if they have not notified you of this option. In fact, people who have visual impairments can request information in alternate formats at the time they apply for any benefits from the Social Security Administration. In an effort to ensure that we get the word out about the important options that are now available from SSA, I have decided to print the text of the letters SSA sent to blind and visually impaired beneficiaries in this article. Even if you did not receive this letter, please follow the procedures listed below if you would benefit from receiving your correspondence from SSA in an alternate format and make your request. The text of the letter outlining options and procedures for requesting them reads as follows. We are writing to you because our records show that you are blind or visually impaired and you are covered by a recent court decision. The court case, American Council of the Blind v. Astru, recognizes that you have the right under federal law, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, to ask for notices and other information about your benefits from us in a format in addition to print. This notice tells you how you can ask for your preferred format. The information in this notice is also on our website at www.socialsecurity.gov slash n-o-t-i-c-e-s. You can also listen to a recording of this notice by calling toll-free at 1-877-708-708. 1776. If you are deaf or hard of hearing, you may call our TTY number at 1-800-325-0778. If you already have chosen to get your notices by means of a telephone call, we will call you to read this notice to you by February 1, 2010. Formats we automatically provide upon request. By law, we must always consider your request for your preferred format. We automatically grant requests for the formats listed below. 1. 
standard print notice by first class or certified mail, or two, standard print notice by first class mail and a follow up telephone call to read the notices to you within five business days of the date you get the print notice, or three, standard print notice and braille by first class mail. Delivery begins April 15th, 2010, or four, standard print notice and a Microsoft Word compact disc by first class mail. Delivery begins April 15th, 2010. The compact disc may be used on a computer that has the software needed to access Word, but not in an audio CD player. To select one of the formats we automatically provide, Please contact us through one of the following ways. Visit our website at www.socialsecurity.gov/notices and follow the steps provided. Call us toll-free at 1-877-708-1776. If you are deaf or hard of hearing, You may call our TTY number at one eight hundred three two five zero seven seven eight, or write or visit your local Social Security office. Other preferred formats. If the formats listed above do not work for you, you may ask for another format. To ask for another format, please call one eight hundred seven seven two one two one three. So that we can begin processing your request, we will consider your request and decide if we can provide it according to court-approved guidelines. If we decide against your request, we will send you the reasons in writing and the method of appealing the decision. Your privacy. We collect personal information such as your name, email address, social security number, or date of birth. Only as necessary to administer our programs. When you request a preferred notice format, we will ask you for personal information to verify who you are and to ensure that we correctly process your request. We will use the information you provide only for those purposes or as otherwise permitted by law. We do not ask you to send us personal information by email to request a preferred notice format. We do not ask you for credit card information to request a preferred notice format. What you need to do: If you are satisfied with the way you currently get your notices and other information about your benefits from us, you do not need to do anything. If you would like an alternative to your current format for receiving notices, please follow the procedures described above. It is important that people take advantage of this right now that we have fought for it and won. If you have any questions and can't find answers by calling SSA or searching their website, please feel free to contact the ACB National Office at two zero two four six seven five zero eight one or one eight hundred four two four eight six six six. The Sunny Southwest. ACB Conference and Convention 2010 by Carla Rushville. The 49th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind will be one of the best ever. Make plans now to be in Phoenix, July 9th to 17th, 
for all the information, exhibits, fun, and friends. The ultra-modern, brand-new downtown Sheraton Hotel is home to ACB for Convention Week. General sessions and exhibits will be side-by-side on the third floor, and special interest group meetings, workshops, and social events will generally be on two. After a busy day in exhibits and meetings, you and your friends may want to walk, grab a taxi, or hop a bus and explore the many restaurants and other attractions in downtown Phoenix. Often people ask if there are activities that can help them in their careers. They want to know about information available on important issues and how they can learn more about new adaptive technology. Here's a sampling of these outstanding opportunities. Share them with your employer and explore the possibility of using your time in Phoenix as professional development. Exhibits Compare and contrast the latest products for blind and visually impaired people. Discover which video magnifier, scanner, braille display, note-taker, or speech program best meets your needs. Examine an endless variety of products for work, school, and daily living. Collect materials to take home to others in your office or organization. You will want to spend hours and hours browsing the exhibit hall. It opens on Saturday, July 10th at 1 o'clock and closes on Thursday, July 15th at 1 o'clock. Workshops and focus groups. Every conference and convention features unique opportunities to learn new skills, tips, and techniques on a wide range of topics. Seminars on diabetes, employment issues, rehabilitation, transportation, and information access to off-the-shelf technology are some examples. Get instruction and tips on high-tech products such as screen readers, braille note-takers, low-vision products, and much more. Programs and discussions. ACB General Sessions, Sunday evening, Monday through Thursday, 8.30 a.m. to noon, and all day Friday, address education, rehabilitation, employment, access, health-related issues, and much more. The presentation by a talking book narrator and update on library services are always popular. While the 2010 program is not yet complete, you can be assured that it will be exciting and information-packed. ACB committees, special interest affiliates, and others sponsor an endless variety of breakout sessions and small group discussions. Look for informative programming for teachers, government employees, blind vendors and entrepreneurs, attorneys, and information technology specialists. Students can explore careers and meet people working in their areas of interest. Special programming targets issues related to low vision, guide dogs, deaf-blind concerns, braille, etc. Networking It is often said that networking with others with similar interests is as important as education and training, and that it greatly enhances the job-seeking process and long-term success in any career path. Whether you are a teacher or student, rehabilitation counselor or administrator, parent or caregiver, employer or job-seeker, you will be able to network with others in your field. Exhibits, Advertising, and Sponsorships The 2010 ACB Conference and Convention gives businesses and agencies a chance to let people from all over the country and around the world know about their products and services. Booth space, advertising, and sponsorships are now available. Discounts are available for exhibitors who register early and who purchase advertising.
new this year. Reserve at least one premium booth in the exhibit hall and grab our registration bag special. We'll stuff one brochure or other item of your choice free in our registration bags, a $250 value. This is your chance to reach every attendee and drive traffic to your booth. Color pages. Make your products and services stand out from the rest. Full page program ads and covers are once again available in color. Exhibit special for blind entrepreneurs. Are you a blind small business owner? Do you have products such as CDs, books, crafts, or computer games to sell? Are you a representative for a company that sells jewelry, toys, home decor, etc.? Would your products be a popular addition to the ACB exhibit area? If you have always wanted to give the exhibit area a try but haven't been sure that the hours and cost were right for you, now is your chance. Discounts on tabletop booths are available to blind small business owners during their first, second, and third years of participation in the exhibit hall. For more information, contact Michael Smitherman, Exhibits, at 601-968-4164 or email msmitherman at mbhs.org or Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorships, at 512-921-1625 or email OLEO50 at HOTMAIL.com. Convention details. Special interest groups, ACB committees, and others wishing to sponsor programs or activities at the convention should submit all information for the pre registration form by April 1st. Program details need to be submitted by May 1st. Make all arrangements related to convention events. Reserving space, ordering food or AV equipment, etc., with Carla Rushevel. Phone 502-897-1472 or email adamcarla at bellsouth dot net. Make your hotel reservations at the Phoenix Downtown Sheraton Hotel. Room rates are $89 plus tax per night. Call 1-800-325-3535 to make reservations. For convention questions or special concerns, contact Carla Rushevel at 502-897-1472 or by email at adamcarla at bellsouth dot net or call the ACB National Office at one 800 424-8666. Second Annual ACB Walk by Dan Dillon Get your walking shoes on and begin training for the 2010 ACB Walk. It will be held on Saturday, July 10th at 8 a.m. at Arizona Mills Mall. This is an air-conditioned facility. Each lap around the mall is about one mile. You can walk one lap or up to three laps around the mall, which would be about a 5K walk. This is strictly a walk, not a run, because of the liability issue, which is due to the fact that there are different walking surfaces throughout the mall. Arizona Mills Mall is approximately a half hour away, so we'll be busing participants to and from the walk site. 
Last year, we had only 47 participants. We want to do much, much better this year. We will officially kick off this event at the mid-year presidents' meeting in February and hope to have many of you sign up then. The entry fee will be $25 and every penny will go to ACB. For more information about the walk, contact Dina Wilson in the National Office at 202-559-2045 or dwilson at acb.org or contact Dan Dillon at 615-874-1223 or dan.dillon at b-e-l-l-s-o-u-t-h dot net. Board of Publications Awards. This year, it could be you. The ACB Board of Publications proudly recognizes excellence each year with two awards. End of Side 1. Side 2. The Braille Forum. Volume 48, February 2010. Number 8. This side contains... Spotlight your affiliate with a BOP award. The MMS program makes it easier for you to help ACB by Dina Wilson. Affiliate News Passings My Very First Rehabilitation Lesson by Carl Jarvis Finding My Niche by Barbara Matson. Helping Hands by Diane S. Farrell Letters to the Editor Continuing with Board of Publications Awards this year, it could be you. The Ned E. Freeman Writing Award, instituted in 1970, is named for the first president of the American Council of the Blind, who, after completing his term of office, became editor of the Braille Forum. The Vernon Henley Media Award was established in 1988 to honor the man who created and first produced ACB Reports, a radio presentation distributed to radio reading services around the country. The Freeman Award applies to articles published in either the forum or an affiliate publication and is awarded to an individual piece of work. Mastery of the craft of writing is a major consideration by BOP voters. Interesting subject matter, originality in recounting an experience, or novelty of approach are also considered. All articles published in the Braille Forum between April 2009 and March 2010 are automatically eligible for the Freeman Award. Articles published in state or special interest affiliate publications within this time frame are also eligible if submitted by either the president or newsletter editor from that affiliate. If submitting such an article for consideration, please include a cover letter noting the affiliate, publication name, edition, and a brief notation about the article. The Vernon Henley Media Award is presented to an organization or person, either sighted or blind, who has made a positive difference in the media, whether in radio, TV, magazines, newspapers, or electronic media, that may change public attitudes to recognize the capabilities of people who are blind rather than focusing on outdated stereotypes and misconceptions. Programs and or articles written and produced specifically for a visually impaired audience, as well as those intended for the general public, are eligible. 
multiple articles or programs submitted by one author or organization will be judged as separate entries. Recipients of these awards for the last five years are ineligible to enter the contests. Members of the ACB National Office staff, the Board of Directors, or Board of Publications serving during the awarding period are also not eligible. Submissions for both awards must be received by Sharon Lovering at the ACB National Office on or before April 15, 2010. Presentations will be made at the 2010 National Convention. For more information about judging criteria, please consult the Board of Publications Policy Manual found on the ACB website at www.acb.org. R E S O U R C E S slash B O P hyphen P O L I C Y hyphen M A N U A L hyphen two zero zero seven dot HTML. Send all submissions with cover letter to BOP Awards, care of Sharon Lovering, American Council of the Blind, twenty two hundred Wilson Boulevard, Suite six fifty. Arlington, Virginia, two 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 zero one, or email s l o v e r i n g at a c b dot org. Spotlight your affiliate with a BOP award. Two thousand nine saw a wide range of affiliate publications entered to win the Hollis K. Liggett Braille Free Press Award. Vision Access, the newsletter of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, was the winner in an extremely tight race. This year, it could be your affiliate. This award was named in honor of Hollis Liggett, and is intended to promote best journalistic practices and excellence in writing in publications of ACB's state and special interest affiliates. All periodicals of ACB affiliates distributed no less than semi-annually. Are eligible to be considered for the Hollis K. Liggett Braille Free Press Award. Nominations must be submitted by the affiliate's newsletter editor or president. Submissions are due by April fifteenth, two thousand ten, and should be sent to the Braille Forum editor. Submissions must include the following: one, two issues of the affiliate's publication from the previous calendar year, sent electronically and in hard copy. In the format which the affiliate recognizes as the format which best represents its readership, two answers to the following questions: A. How many members are in your affiliate? B. How often is your publication published per year? C. In what formats is your publication produced? The BOP will take the submitted information into consideration as well as the following: one. The number of contributing writers in a single issue, two, the variety of information written about in each issue, three, how well the publication portrays the affiliate, four, the quality of writing throughout the publication, and five, the overall layout and presentation of the publication. Recipients of this award for the last five years are ineligible to enter the contest. Send your submissions to Sharon Lovering, American Council of the Blind, twenty-two hundred Wilson Boulevard, Suite six fifty, Arlington, Virginia, two 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 zero one.
Make sure they'll arrive no later than April 15, 2010. We look forward to receiving your nominations. This award will be presented at the convention in Phoenix, Arizona. The MMS program makes it easier for you to help ACB by Dina Wilson. Giving to the American Council of the Blind means you strive to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Although there are many ways that you can choose to give to the American Council of the Blind, the Monthly Monetary Support, MMS program, offers you a more convenient way to choose when to have your monthly gift charged to your credit card or deducted from your bank account. The MMS program offers a cost-efficient way for you to give a larger gift because it converts your gift into a smaller monthly amount, making it easier for you to support the programs and services of ACB. The benefits of joining the MMS program are Great Satisfaction you will know you are helping to build a better future for blind and visually impaired individuals every month. Convenience. When you participate, your gift will be transferred and will appear each month on your credit card or checking account statement. Reduced paperwork and overhead expense. Automatic monthly payments mean more of your donation goes to support the independence, dignity, and advancement of blind and visually impaired people. To join the MMS program and help improve tomorrow today in ACB, simply email Ron Milliman at R M I L L I M A N at I N S I G H T B B dot com or call him at two seven zero seven eight two nine three two five. Affiliate News. CCLVI Scholarships Available The Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, will award three scholarships in the amount of $3,000 each to one full-time student in each category, entering freshman, undergraduate, and graduate. College students who are visually impaired maintain a strong GPA and are involved in their school and or local community are encouraged to apply. Applications may be submitted beginning January 1st, and all materials must be received by March 1st. Scholarship monies will be awarded for the 2010 to 2011 academic year. To read the scholarship guidelines and complete an online application, please visit www.cclvi.org and click on the Scholarship link. Applications will be available to submit online until March 1st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Please plan ahead so that documents mailed will be received by March 1st. Faxed materials will not be accepted. Questions may be directed to CCLVI at 1-800-733-2258. We look forward to receiving your application materials. passings. It has come to our attention that we are rapidly losing members of our community, friends and supporters of ACB. In order to honor these people whose lives have impacted us in large and small ways, we are publishing this column. 
See below for the format in which to submit information. Obituary Format Please include as much of the following information as possible when submitting material for this column. Submissions must involve dates no more than six months from intended date of publication. Name First, last, maiden, if appropriate. City of residence, upon passing. State or province of residence, upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence. Places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death. Day, if known, month, year. Age. ACB affiliation. Local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Morlock, Albert. Albert Bert Morlock, 72, died January 3, 2010. He was one of the founding members of the Gopher State Blind Associates, which later became the Minnesota State Affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Bert was an active member of the American Council of the Blind of Minnesota, ACBM, and received the first ACBM life membership during the 2009 state convention. A tireless worker for the rights and dignity of people who are blind, Bert championed many causes throughout his life. Most importantly, Bert lived an independent life where he did and saw more things than many other people, sighted or blind. He had a wicked sense of humor and could tell a story like no other person. Including Minnesota's own Garrison Keeler. Bert was blessed with grandchildren in his later years and would not hesitate to talk about them whenever the opportunity arose. Bert retired after 26 years with the Minnesota State Services for the Blind as a management coordinator. He was always generous in life. In lieu of flowers, his family requests that memorials be made to the Communications Center at State Services for the Blind or Vision Loss Resources. He will be missed by everyone in the Minnesota blind community, as well as by everyone who came to know him well. Bob Lockwood, with excerpts from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. My very first rehabilitation lesson. By Carl Jarvis. Blind or sighted, male or female, black, white, or any color between, we Americans are all products of the same culture. Who we are is, in great part, shaped by the cultural beliefs about us. We have certain stereotypes that define certain members of our greater society. We do not discard our stereotypes easily. Because they are the foundation from which we make sense out of our world. At 30 years of age, I became totally blind. Even having been a person of limited vision, I had never allowed myself to think in such terms. I was sighted. I had to be sighted in order to fit into my perception of who I was. Now, at 30 and totally blind, I referred to blind people as those people. I was not one of them because I did not fit my beliefs of who blind people were. If I were to be rehabilitated as a blind man, I had to learn far more about blindness than how to wave a stick in front of me, or how to run my fingers over bumps, or how to flip a burger on a hot grill, or how to run a board through a table saw. I had to unlearn all that my culture had taught me about who we blind people are. 
My greatest single step on the road to rehabilitation came not through hours of walking with an O and M instructor, or days of drilling braille, or making a chessboard in shop, or making a Denver omelet. It was that day, early in my new world of blindness, when Harry Trebaugh, a totally blind rehab teacher, appeared at my door. I was shocked to open the door and find Harry standing there all alone after he'd taken a bus across Seattle to reach my house. I explained to Harry that I was unable to do any of the things that were important to me. Certainly, I would never work again. I was afraid that as time went on, I would begin to look blind. This meant to me that I would begin to look like an idiot, since that was my innermost unspoken image of blind people. But I also told Harry that I loved to run. I would never be able to run again. Harry, a short, wiry man, jumped to his feet, grabbed his cane, and told me to take his arm. We went out the door, across the front yard, and down into the middle of the street. Harry turned to the east and said, "Here we go." With that, he took off at a dead run, with me clinging to his arm like a frightened rabbit. After about half a block, Harry stopped dead in his tracks. Looked up at me and asked, "Just how much faster do you want to go?" And so began a new picture, a different stereotype inside my brain. As I went through the orientation and training center, this little rehab lesson grew and flourished and bloomed into the person I now am. Was there risk in doing what Harry did, running wildly down the middle of the street? You bet. But so was the fact that he, a totally blind man, jumped on a bus in the south end of Seattle and traveled the length of that city, crossed a very busy highway, and came to my door. Living life is a risk, but if we lay all our fears at the door of blindness, it tells me that we are not overcoming our cultural fears about who we are. Finding My Niche, by Barbara Matson. One of the things that has fascinated me over the years is programming computers. I was pretty good in math, but my logic and reasoning were weak. I took my first aptitude test to see if I was computer programming material at the South Carolina Commission for the Blind Rehabilitation Center. The materials were in Braille, and testing, as far as I recall, took much of the day. I don't remember the results. But my counselor promised me I'd attend a computer programming school in Florida. Then things didn't come through. While I was waiting, another avenue kept haunting me. A rehab teacher had encouraged me to go to college. My high school English teacher, however, had impressed on me while talking to the whole class that none of us would make it in college. Nonetheless, it was with fear and trembling that I finally decided that's what I was going to do. I graduated with a B.A. in psychology and a secondary education teaching certificate in social studies, but I wanted to be a counselor. So I made arrangements to begin studies at the University of South Carolina. Meanwhile, a home teaching position came open with the Commission for the Blind in Charleston, and my counselor asked me if I wanted it. Because my counselor had told me counselors are a dime a dozen, I was afraid if I didn't grab the job, I would be job hunting forever. Since having a teaching certificate requires earning six hours of credit every five years, I began graduate work in counseling, but also took courses in the disabilities field. 
Eventually, I quit work to go to school full-time to earn a counseling degree. But the desire to have that certificate of accomplishment wasn't as great as my fear that I would ruin someone's life. Meanwhile, I took some statistics-type courses. In one course, I surveyed schools for the blind and rehab agencies and found there was a need for a book for blind parents. So I set about writing it with the American Foundation for the Blind's backing. However, I was once again drawn into taking computer programming courses when I acquired equipment that I believed would enable me to link with the computers at the college I was attending. However, after several weeks of trying, I finally had to withdraw from the Introduction to Computers course. This was a huge blow to my confidence, as I'd never had to withdraw from a course. Years passed, and I continued my writing. One year, apparently preparing to renew my teaching certificate, I thought again about computer programming. So I went to the Community Technology College and took a test with my mother reading and writing. This time it was timed, and I spent at the most two hours. I could have challenged the results, complaining that conditions weren't ideal, but I also felt that if my ability had been true, it wouldn't have mattered. Now I find myself concentrating on transcribing books into Braille and writing. Though I've said I've wanted to break into publishing, right now I'm just content to write when I'm inspired. Meanwhile, I'm helping people read with my brailing, and that gives me hope for a better life for others as well as me. Helping Hands by Diane S. Farrell. From the perspective of one who has worked in the field of special education and having a visual disability myself, I have been involved in some interesting discussions with others who are employed in the same general field of work. Their interests in entering the helping professions vary from being altruistic to custodial. Someone who chooses to work with individuals with disabilities has a particular responsibility to promote the welfare of these individuals rather than hinder it. As is illustrated in the following episode, which was told to me, this mandate is at times overlooked. Mr. West, in a somewhat harried manner, entered his office at the university and, while smoothing his ruffled brown hair and somewhat disheveled clothing, began to survey his roster of disabled students to be served that day. As coordinator of students with disabilities, it was his job to ensure that the university met the academic needs of its disabled student population. He was especially preoccupied on this day with his wife Kathy's lamentations about not being able to become pregnant. Their conversations now were always pretty much the same. "I want to have a child," she would wail repeatedly whenever they were alone. He felt as if he was a robot having to perform sexually on cue. He heaved a deep sigh. "I don't know how much more of this I can take," he grimaced. "She doesn't want to adopt either." His first appointment of the day was with Cindy Black, a totally blind sophomore who was scheduled to take the entrance test required for the teacher education program. Cindy, a petite brunette in blouse and slacks, arrived for her appointment on time. Wearing an excited look of great expectation, she was accompanied by a tall, blonde young woman who smiled cordially. "Hello, Cindy. You're right on time," said Mr. West, shaking her hand. "What a small hand," thought Cindy, "and so soft, too." 
Coming from an agrarian background, Cindy was accustomed to a man's hands being large, muscular, and a little rough. I'd like you to meet my friend Anne, she said, who will fill in the answer sheet for me after I'm finished with the exam. The coordinator led the two young women down a corridor to a small carpeted room containing two conference tables and assorted chairs. This is where many of our students come to take their tests. It's soundproof, so you won't be bothered by any exterior noise. Cindy asked Anne to return to the room in a couple of hours when she should be about finished with the test. Anne said that she had brought along a good book and also planned to visit the student bookstore in the interim. Cindy then put her braille writing equipment on one of the tables, thanked Mr. West, and proceeded to read the test, which had been left on the table for her. About an hour later, Mr. West came to check on Cindy's progress. How is it going? he asked her. He looked at Cindy, who was intensely concentrating on her immediate task. You've been working quite a while with no break. You look like you could use a good back massage. When I finish with this test, that's just what I might do, have a nice back massage, answered Cindy while returning to her task. Mr. West approached Cindy. I give my wife shoulder massages all the time to help her relax. He grabbed her shoulders, and his firm hands began to move in an undulating motion. He was no longer touching Cindy, but Kathy, as she was beginning to relax and talk about having a child of her own. Cindy uttered a startled, Thank you, now I'll have to finish my work. But the large snake-like fingers continued moving down her shoulders, across her breasts, and relentlessly downward. Cindy started screaming and strangely felt as though she were beginning to leave her body. Now she was frighteningly suspended above this horrifying situation which she was observing. Why is that woman screaming, she wondered. I have to try and help her. Cindy was again back in her own body and in control. Stop! That's enough! Stop! she yelled, pulling herself free of the gigantic tentacles. Nothing was said as she heard his footsteps walk to the door. The door opened, closed, and there was silence. Then, ever so slowly, a profound sense of calmness began to encircle her body like a cloak. She felt safe again. Then she began to question herself. Did this really happen, or was it a terrible dream? No, it really happened, and now it's over. I will tell someone what happened. This must never happen to anyone else. Dazed, she sat down at the table and finished the exam. Anne returned, as planned, and filled in the answer sheet for her friend. As they were walking back to the coordinator's office to deliver the testing materials, Anne commented, I've never seen you so calm. Cindy sighed. I guess it's kind of like the calm after a storm. As Cindy placed her test papers on the coordinator's desk, she felt the pat of his small, soft hand on hers. Just let me know whenever I can be of help, or when you need a helping hand. Letters to the Editor the contents of this column reflect the letters we had received by the time we went to press, January 7, 2010. Letters are limited to 300 words or fewer. All submissions must include the author's name and location. Opinions expressed are those of the authors. In reply to President's Message, 
technology and independence? I agree wholeheartedly with Mitch Pomerantz's assessment on our reliance of technology. My computer allows me to do things I could never do independently when I was younger, and it allows me to do some things more quickly or more thoroughly than I once did. I enjoy taking audiobooks with me. They greatly reduce the boredom while waiting for transportation. The blindness market is small, so devices are expensive. It behooves us to be selective. Computers crash. Batteries die. It takes a backpack to carry all of the stuff we think we need. And sometimes the dog destroys a charger or something. High-tech is wonderful, but low-tech served us well for generations and continues to do so, if we will but allow it. I recall a young man with whom I worked a number of years ago whose laptop computer was stolen. He often missed appointments because he didn't know how to keep track of them without his computer. He couldn't remember assignments or keep track of his bank account or phone numbers. He had always relied on his computer, and when he didn't have it, he was lost. His independence was stolen right along with his computer. My suggestion is that we integrate low-tech and high-tech skills to make ourselves maximally efficient, even when high-tech fails. I'm not sure sighted folks do that very well, but that's no reason for us blind folks to let our low-tech skills fail. Nancy Johnson, Topeka, Kansas I'm responding to the Technology and Independence President's Message in the December Braille Forum. Although I agree that society as a whole has gotten dependent on technology, I need to say, with pun fully intended, that for blind people, it depends on the situation. The examples cited regarding cell phone gadgetry and GPS support the President's point very well. But how about these examples? End of Side 2 Side 3 The Braille Forum Volume 48 February 2010 Number 8 This side contains Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels High Tech Swap Shop Continuing with Letters to the Editor My husband has been diabetic since age two and has neuropathy in his fingers, which does not allow him to read Braille. I've been a huge advocate of Braille and gave my husband a hard time during our courtship about his inability to read Braille. That is, until I watched him struggle to read one word on a label. People called him illiterate because of his inability to feel bumps as an alternative to seeing a page. However, with the computer and talking books, he's probably one of the most intense readers I know. Because he can't read Braille, does that make him dependent? And let's talk about those talking books. Despite the explosion in technology, they've been around in one form or another for a long time. Is the argument that we are more dependent because someone is reading it? I love Braille. But aren't we also just as dependent on someone to produce readable and accurate Braille in the books and magazines we read? How about that new bill reader, which some think is pesky? I'll be very happy not to take one more electronic gadget to read my bills whenever only accessible bills are in circulation. But until then, I'm looking forward to being in control of my own money without the possibility of someone being dishonest with me. We will still have to fold or organize money as we do now, 
unless one really isn't interested in saving time and has the compunction to read the bill each time it is encountered. So although the point about maintaining skills is well taken, I think each individual has to evaluate for him or herself what uses of technology are or are not independence. This leads to my final point. I know of another blindness organization that would be happy to evaluate each individual's independent skills. They've infiltrated state agencies for the blind and have taught sighted people to make such judgments using their so-called philosophy of blindness. They even set up centers where they make money with staff-assessed evaluation and improvement of attitudes and blindness skills. I think there are enough quasi-independence police out there, and I want to caution ACB members not to add to their numbers. Rebecca Cragness, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org or phone the national office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Seeking Hall of Fame Nominees Nominees are currently being sought for the 2010 Class of Inductees to the American Printing House's Hall of Fame for Leaders and Legends of the Blindness Field. This honor recognizes those individuals who have provided outstanding service to people who are blind or visually impaired. Bios of the current 44 members of the hall can be viewed at www.aph.org slash H-A-L-L underscore F-A-M-E slash I-N-D-E-X dot H-T-M-L. For the nominee qualifications and nomination process, visit www.aph.org slash H-A-L-L underscore F-A-M-E slash N-O-M-I-N-A-T-E dot H-T-M-L. Nominations close March 26th, 2010. Service Dog Eye Exams For the third year, the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists will sponsor National Service Dog Eye Exam Month throughout May 2010. More than 150 board-certified veterinary ophthalmologists in the U.S. and Canada will provide free eye exams to thousands of dog guides, assistance dogs, detection dogs, and search-and-rescue dogs. To be eligible, the dogs must either be certified, active, working dogs, or dogs in training. In order to participate, dogs must be registered online at www.acvoeyeexam.org between April 1st and May 16th. Once registered, you can access the list of participating veterinary ophthalmologists to schedule an exam on a first-come, first-served basis. Camp Siloam 2010 Camp Siloam 2010 will be held May 22nd to 29th at the Golden Cross Ranch, located north of Houston, Texas. 
This year's theme is A Passion for Christ is a Passion for Life. The week will include morning and evening worship services, swimming, horseback riding, hay rides, horseshoe pitching, and more. Individuals ages 17 to 68 and in good health are invited to attend. The cost for the week is $220 per person. Assistance with finding sponsors to help with the cost of registration or transportation may be available. To receive the full camp registration packet, mail a $25 non-refundable registration deposit to the Gospel Association for the Blind, Post Office Box 1162, Bunnell, Florida, 32110, along with a 3x5 card that includes your name, address, phone numbers, and email address. For additional registration details, call 386-586-5885. For updates on the camp program, check the recorded message toll-free at 1-866-251-5165 and enter mailbox 7128 pound sign. Camp registration closes April 15, 2010. Summer Braille Music Institute The National Resource Center for Blind Musicians is accepting applications for its seminar for blind college-bound musicians to be held July 11th to 17th, 2010 at the Overbrook School for the Blind in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Designed for serious Braille reading music students preparing for or already in college, the program tailors instruction to each person's need to develop Braille music and theory skills and to learn to use technology to submit music assignments in print notation. Applicants must have already studied some music theory, have had several years of music lessons, and be able to present a polished and pleasing performance. They must be willing to put effort into Braille music study and demonstrate a commitment to use the Braille music and computer skills they will learn at the Institute when they return to school. Applicants must also show they have begun thinking realistically about reachable goals and that they have the independent skills, social readiness, and maturity to be a contributing part of a close-knit group. Contact the Resource Center regarding the application and audition procedure. All application materials must be received by May 5th. Parents and teachers of younger students are invited to discuss coming for an evaluation and guidance. You may also contact the Resource Center about customized distance learning throughout the year. For more information, visit www.blindmusicstudent.org, contact David Goldstein, at 203-366-3300, extension 229, or send an email message to info at blindmusicstudent dot org. Tax Assistance and Accessibility For anyone seeking assistance this tax season, many communities have volunteer income tax assistance sites or local IRS taxpayer assistance centers, which will prepare your return without charge. To locate a volunteer site, call your community's 211 or 311 number for local services or call the IRS at 1-800-906-9887. 
The IRS offers numerous documents in alternative formats for people with print disabilities at www.irs.gov. Follow the homepage link to Accessibility, then link to Accessible IRS Tax Products, and select the appropriate link to download accessible forms or publications. The IRS website provides accessible electronic files in formats including ASCII text, .txt, braille-ready format, .brf, and talking tax forms in PDF that work with MSAA-compliant screen reading software and braille display devices. Children's Literature Course Julie Goldbeck is offering an online course in Introduction to Children's Literature for 10 clock hours. It is a self-paced course that can be completed from home with an Internet connection. The course will cover all areas of children's literature, including special events in children's literature, U.S. and international children's literature awards, authors, illustrators, children's book publishers, picture books, chapter books, middle grade, young adult, etc. To register, email goldbeckjm at comcast.net and Julie will send you the course materials. A $50 instructor fee is due upon completion. Coming of Age Coming of Age, a personal memoir, co-authored by Clara Bowie and Lydia Hazel, is now available. Part 1 includes an overview, a review of relevant literature, discussion of lifelong pursuits, and thoughts on other views of aging. The book includes strategies for navigating the aging process and a variety of personal experiences. For more information, contact Clara Bowie at 800 West Mill Street, Apartment 303A, Carbondale, Illinois, 62901, or phone 618-457-8273. New Leadership Book the Blind Visionary chronicles the life course of Virginia Jacko, current CEO of the Miami Lighthouse. The book discusses Jacko's journey from being diagnosed with RP while working as a university executive to becoming a client at the Miami Lighthouse and to working her way up to be its CEO. In the book, Jacko and co-author Doug Eady, a seasoned consultant in organizational leadership, demonstrate four areas of practical advice reaching out aggressively to cultivate mentors, role models and potential partners, acting on opportunities and overcoming barriers, believing in yourself no matter what the naysayers might tell you, and keeping your ego in check and your sense of humor alive. The Blind Visionary is available in softcover for $19.99 and hardcover for $29.99 from www. G-O-V-E-R-N-A-N-C-E-E-D-G-E dot com. Transition Resource The Full Life Ahead Foundation is a national organization that focuses on providing resources and inspiration for young people with disabilities as they transition into adulthood. The foundation has a workbook to assist in navigating the process, both written and video success stories, and interactive workshops for students, parents, and providers. To learn more about this organization, call toll-free 1-866-700-2026 
or visit www.fulllifeahead.org. Seeking Camp Bloomfield alumni. Walter Chavira would like to hear from Camp Bloomfield alumni. If you attended the camp, contact him at 661-808-4334 or via email w-a-l-t-e-r-c-h-a-v-i-r-a at e-a-r-t-h-l-i-n-k dot net. Author Seeks Feedback Do you suffer from migraines with piercing pain? Do they last for hours? Ohosian Ingram has developed her own home remedy that gets her up and out in 40 minutes most of the time. If you would like to try it, she'll send you her pamphlet or read it to you in exchange for a 25 to 50 word statement of your results. Please call her at 415-846-2027 and leave your name and mailing address. Be sure to speak slowly and clearly. Or you may send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Ohosian, O-J-O-C-I-O-N, Ingram, I-N-G-R-A-M, Post Office Box 330426, San Francisco, California, 94133-0426. New UK Company John Gill of the UK has established John Gill Technology Limited to fill the service gap resulting when RNIB discontinued its scientific research unit. The company specializes in the needs of disabled and elderly people, including assistive technology and inclusive design. For detailed service descriptions, visit www.johngillteach.com or email John at johngill at btconnect dot com. Voice-activated clocks. The Moshi Travel Alarm Clock is the newest in the line of voice-controlled talking clocks. When you speak commands like time, temperature, or today's date to the Moshi, it speaks the response aloud. Other voice commands can be used to set the alarm, time, or date, turn the alarm to snooze, or select sleep sounds. The newest model is available in four colors, measures 3.75 inches by 2.75 inches by 1 inch, weighs 2.7 ounces, and uses three AAA batteries. The Moshi line of products is sold by many blindness product companies, some mainstream retailers, and is widely available online. 2010 Tours for the Blind Mind's Eye Travel, which offers group trips for people who are blind or visually impaired, including sighted guides, has planned several tours for 2010. The first is a four-night tour of San Francisco, Sonoma, and Napa, scheduled for May 17th to 21st. From May 22nd to June 1st, the company offers a 10-day cruise to Alaska's Inside Passage aboard the Sea Princess. October 6th to 9th, Mind's Eye will show off many of the historical landmarks and museums of New York City. The Canada and New England Fall Foliage Cruise sets sail for seven nights, October 9th to 16th, on the Caribbean Princess. And in November, the company offers its final group tour of the year. 
Seven Nights on New Zealand's South Island. Group tour prices are based on double occupancy and a minimum of six participants. Travel packages can also be organized for individuals and families to a variety of locations. For more information, contact Minds Eye Travel at 207-542-4438 or email sue at m-i-n-d-s-e-y-e-t-r-a-v-e-l dot com. Smart Cane Project Kumar Yalamarti, an engineering professor at Central Michigan University, and five of his students have created a prototype smart cane. Using radio frequency identification, RFID, the cane sensor picks up signals emitted from RFID tags placed on buildings and obstacles. A signal, either audio for those who can hear, or tactual through a vibrating glove for hearing-impaired users, indicates navigational corrections to assure a clear path. Down the line, Yalamarti wants to work toward integrating the smart cane's data with GPS. Virtual Maps to Aid Orientation Dr. Orly Lahav of Tel Aviv University's School of Education and Porter School for Environmental Studies has invented a new software tool to help the blind navigate through unfamiliar places. It is connected to an existing joystick, a 3D haptic device that interfaces with the user through the sense of touch. People can feel tension beneath their fingertips as a physical sensation through the joystick as they navigate around a virtual environment which they cannot see, only feel. The joystick stiffens when the user meets a virtual wall or barrier. The software can also be programmed to emit sounds. A cappuccino machine firing up in a virtual cafe or phones ringing when the explorer walks by a reception desk. High-Tech Swap Shop For Sale SmartView 8000 CCTV with Full Color, Autofocus, Split Screen Computer Link, and Footswitch. Magnification ranges from 3.5x to 50x with a 17-inch monitor. The camera has two user-definable presets and easy controls. Asking $1,200 or best offer. Contact Danielle Earle via email. D-E-A-R-L at B-I-S-M dot org. And in the subject line, type SmartView CCTV. For sale. 20-inch Magnesite Explorer Custom Focus CCTV for sale. This is an autofocus unit, full color, with several positive-negative choices for reading display. Asking $1,250 plus shipping. Contact the Kansas Association of the Blind and Visually Impaired at 1-800-799-1499 or email us at kabvi at att.net. For sale. BrailleNote M-Power 32-cell in excellent condition. Comes with original packaging, manuals, runs latest version of Keysoft. Asking $2,800. Perkins Brailler, hardly used, with dust cover. Asking $275. Contact Gamma at 616-990-5151 or email him g-a-m-a-d-u-r-a-n-g-o at 
sbcglobal.net. For sale. Toshiba laptop with 15.4-inch screen, 250-gig hard drive, 2-gigs RAM, Windows XP, JAWS 9, and ZoomText 8.0, asking $700. Flash drive internet radio lets you listen to radio stations from around the world, only works with Windows XP, asking $45. Desktop computer with 19-inch monitor, 1-terabyte hard drive, 2-gigs RAM, Windows XP, JAWS, and ZoomText. DVD burner, Wi-Fi ready, asking $800. Call Jose at 818-220-6256. For sale, brand new 13-inch black and white Reliant CCTV, asking $1,700, negotiable. Call Tim at 623-692-6472. For sale, book port reader with USB cable, flashcard, CD software, and instruction manual, asking $80 plus shipping. Contact Cynthia at 408-656-2102 or email C-I-R-Q-I-T-O-U-S-650 at Y-A-H-O-O dot com. For sale. VoiceNote M-Power QT, running Keysoft 8.0, Build 20, in very good condition. Includes Ambicom wireless card, AC adapter, USB cable, carrying case with shoulder strap, and one SMA account. Asking $500, which includes shipping in the continental United States. Will accept a cashier's check or money order. Contact Keith Booker at 304 386 4889 or email him kbucher at earth1.net. For sale Sendero GPS software for the Braille Note M Power, most current version, fully functional, asking $750 or best offer. Contact Grinnell Almy at 310849. 9694. For sale. Romeo Pro 50 Braille Printer, barely used. Comes with all cables and manual in Braille. Asking $1,000 or best offer. Contact Norm Burke Yale at 816 254 9670. Wanted. Donation of Perkins Brailler. Contact Derek Hayward. 05A6489, Post Office Box 338, Napanoch, N-A-P-A-N-O-C-H, New York, 12458-0338. Wanted. Good refurbished laptop with 13-inch monitor, speakers, Alva 80-cell Braille display, open book, Internet Explorer, and JAWS for Windows, Juliet Braille Printer, and box of tractor-fed Braille paper. Contact Carla Lack at 580-237-8032, room 16. Wanted. Sharp Talking Time 1. Contact Robert Feinstein at 347-489-5324 or email 
H-A-R-L-Y-N-N at P-A-N-I-X dot com. Wanted. Nylon cassette and CD carrying cases, either by Case Logic or someone else. Must take CDs with cases. No CD wallets. Contact Mark and Shanna Kiefler at 701-478-6413. Wanted. Braille Dictionary. Contact Dwayne at 773-597-4263. Wanted. Used Power Braille 80 in good condition with all pins functioning. Contact Andre at 847-318-6413. Wanted. Oasis 22C cell phone. Contact Frank Lapiano at 212-675-7856. ACB Officers. President. Mitch Pomerantz. 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, 632 South 189th Street, Burien, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Mike Godino, 104 Tillrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-2024. Immediate Past President, Christopher Gray, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois, Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington, Marcia Farrow, Somerville, Georgia, Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas, Billy Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia, Carla Rushevel, Louisville, Kentucky, Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, David Trott, Talladega, Alabama, Cammie Vludman, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Ex officio, Marsha Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Board of Publications, Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Marsha Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Judy Jackson, San Antonio, Texas. Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Ex officios, Michael Malver, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. End of Side 3